Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, you're listening to the Curiously Specific Book Club the podcast that's curiously specific about dates and locations in well-known books, presented by Lloyd Shepard and Tim Wright. This is part two of our podcast all about Ridley Walker by Russell Hoban. In part one, we, we spent some time discussing where how Fence was and why it wasn't why. What? I know. And we also went to Canterbury Cathedral and found the Frieze of St Eustace, which was very exciting. Oh, I enjoyed that. Uh, with the help of some shepherds. Yeah, and no rights. And no rights. In part two, we're heading down the hill into the flatlands of Kent. We're going to head east towards Folkestone, following the, in the trail of uh, Ridley Walker as he walks along the railway line. Yes. So basically, Ridley jumps out of his farm and goes on a walkabout. He goes, he goes to Ashford first, doesn't he? I think. He goes to Burnt Arse Farm, or Burnt Arse, which is Ashford. Yeah, and then, he, and then, he's, then he's doing this, this walkabout in a rather strange route not the route that i think he really planned yeah. but we're, we'll be discussing precisely where he went and how long it took him to get there and how far he went yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. so we're going we're going you're from, going on a long walk listener we're, we're going from widder's dump to rosen to power and we're going to end up at fork stone now don't forget if you sign up as a patron supporter one of the perks will be that you never have to wait for part two of any adventure you can just access it straight away and we're also offering plenty of other fun extras like maps so you can actually do these adventures yourself and videos and show notes, all the links we generate as part of our research. So just go to patreon.com and search for Curiously Specific. That's, that's enough promotion for now. Let's get out there on the road again. Um, but before we start, I think I'm going to introduce you to my swazzle. Oh, matron. <laughs> You know what my favourite thing about going to Canterbury was? What was it? Well, it wasn't going in the cathedral, although that was quite nice. That was quite nice. The Call the Midwife discovery was quite interesting. The artwork itself is stunning. The artwork is amazing. It's huge. And also being able to stand on the spot where Thomas Beckett gets stabbed is yeah. quite weird. Yeah. To know that it's the real play. Again, a specific moment. Yeah. Perhaps we should do murder in the cathedral one day. Oh, yeah. Well. No, none of that. What was it? What was it then? I got my tenterhooks. 
It was the fact that you had actually bought a swazzle stick. I did bring and a brought swazzle, it with you. I did bring a swazzle stick. And uh, for people who don't know what a swazzle stick is, Lloyd, well, a swazzle is a device you 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 put in your mouth if you're doing a Punch and Judy show. So it's probably worth saying quickly that one of the extraordinary themes of the book is the way that Hoban uses Punch and Judy as a as as a way of the government sort of disseminating propaganda to the population they you know the the prime minister and his number two go around in a fit up which is the you know the stall that you do a punch and judy show in and they tell the stories they want to tell in the format of punch and judy yeah mr punch is just a big character in this because he's, he's also the devil isn't he's also he? the and devil he's also yeah he's all kinds of things he's also a weirdly uh uh for, for ridley who finds an old punch doll in in widow's dump he's like an external brain for ridley he's a bit like a you know, uh, he's very, very shamanistic, of which more later. Yes, that's a very um, good point. Uh, that he's, he's the kind of way that Ridley discusses his visions is through the means of this Mr. Punch figure. It's really weird, It's right? really weird. It's very good. If you'd like to hear what a swazzle sounds like... You went above and beyond. Keep listening. Do you want to, do you want to see my swazzle? I definitely want to see so, your swazzle. So, swazzle... Uh, have you uh, had a go with it? Uh, I've tried, but it's like... So, you have to... So, let me... I'm just taking out the envelope now. Um, so, it's... Uh, it's it's a weird little thing. It's about the size of a what's it about the size of Tim? It's about the size of a piece of chewing gum. Yes, um, exactly. In old money, yeah. so you have to wet it before you do anything, uh, and it's it's supposed to sit at the top of your mouth. Yeah, I've not been able to make this work, by the way, as a as an actual swazzle. But I'll, I'll, how many times have you tried? Well, quite a few times. I, I should point out that it's it's on a piece of, of string in your little room, trying to work it's out how to use piece, a swazzle. It's on a, Was anyone listening? Was your wife listening? My wife was. What are you doing? <laughs> yes, I bet she thought. Uh, that was my, um, <laughs> it's on a piece. It's, it's on a piece of string which you have to tie to your chest because you put it at the back of your throat and you try and talk. You have to try and blow and talk through it at the same time. And when you're trying to do it, as I've discovered. You tend to swallow it, so it's on a piece of string, so you can yank it out of your throat oh rather than God. rather than come to a sticky end. That's very unpleasant. So um, I've not heard of people dying from trying to use a swazzle, but uh, so I'm trying to wet Death it now. Death by swazzle. I'm trying to wet it now. <laughs> it's essentially it's a metal. It's a metal, two metal bits of metal, uh, either side of a reed. <laughs> That's actually not bad. <laughs> That's the way to do it. <laughs> So that's the swazzle. Do that again, please. I love it. <laughs> You're getting there. Yeah, I know, but, but then when you put it in your mouth, I'm going to put it in my mouth now and try not to die. Come on. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> do you think Russell Hoban knew how to do it? <laughs> but did you find anything about Percy Press? No, Percy did you? Press Senior, I did. So Percy Press Senior is the guy who told Russell Hoban all about Punch and Judy and performed for him twice in Russell Hoban's home. What? Yeah, he took, he took his fit up to Russell Hoban's home to perform for it. He was the Punch and Judy man at the White Rock Theatre in Hastings all the way through the 60s and 70s. So that's where he would have first so seen I'm him. So I'm thinking Russell went down to Hastings with the, with the family and saw... Maybe yes. saw Percy Press doing his Punch and Judy show in Hastings. I think it's quite funny that he came to Britain all, all, all Sherlock Holmes up and then James ghost story. He ends up in Hastings looking at a Punch and Judy show. <laughs> yeah. I think that's quite funny. That is quite good. I took my little granddaughter to see the Punch and Judy man. She was absolutely made up with it. She sat in the front and she was very taken with it. 
I think Punch and Judy was just part of the magic of the seaside. Those two weeks of the year when you stepped outside your normal existence. They see all these other things on television, but it's not the same as sitting and watching somebody actually do it. So there's a um, there's a song or a poem. Oh my God, you're not going to sing, are you? I'm not going to sing this. That is repeated a few times. Um, it's called this Full Circle Nine Ways. It's what the kids sing, and it goes: Horny boy rung widow's bell, stole his father's ham as well, burnt his ass and forked a stone. Done it over, broke a bone. Out of good shore, vacked his weight. Scratched Sam's itch for number eight. Gone to centre next to see. Cambry coming three times three. Sharna packs and get the pole when the odd ship of Cambry comes out of the hole. Right, so it's a, it's basically a spiral of places that ends up on uh, Canterbury. Yeah, if you didn't think this book was difficult to read before, you, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. now got, you know. You've got a good sense. <laughs> uh, so Horny Boy is Hearn Bay. Widder's Bell is Whitstable. Father's Ham is Faversham. Burnt his arse is Ashford. And Forkdestone is Forkdestone. Done it over is Dover. Out of Good Shore. What's Good Shore? Oh, no. I, thought, I think he means Deal, actually. Deal. Okay. Mm. Sam's Itch is Sandwich. Yeah. Uh, and then Cambry is, is Canterbury. So it's basically a spiral of places that kind of come round to Canterbury. And it's sort of the, the song that he's got in his head, Ridley, when he goes out on walking as if he's going to do that route, although he's starting in a different well, place. Well, isn't it also that every few years that they... They, they take the Archbishop they, they do of Canterbury a, on that. Uh, they, they, yeah. uh, they do a sort of pilgrimage yeah. around that as a, the circle of power, as yeah, it were. Yeah, yeah. And, and the Archbishop, Archbishop of Canterbury does come out of the hole in this book because Ridley finds him in a hole in Burnt Arse. But Ridley doesn't actually go on that route. He goes on a very different route. And you've been looking at the distances. Yes, he doesn't He doesn't do the circle. No. No, no, he doesn't. So, listener, the good news is there is a map at the beginning of this book. In, in most editions of this book, there is a hand-drawn map. But there is a map. So, so if you get a map of Kent and, yeah. you, and you get, a, get this map at the front of the book, yeah. it might make a bit more sense for you if, if you don't know Kent. Yeah. yeah. No, that's, that's one thing to, yeah. to help you. Yeah. Um, but, but you've yeah. been looking at a real map. Yes, about how you would go round yeah. it. So what, again, my habit here is to read the book with a sense of when people move and when they stop yeah. and when night falls and when day breaks yeah. so that we can get a proper sense of how long this yeah. is, is yeah. in real time. Yeah. It's about nine days. Okay. It is, it's nine days long, this journey. So it starts at Howe Fence and it ends in... He jumps over there and it... Uh, well, it ends in... Well, it doesn't end in Goodman's He actually ends up in, in Fo- uh, Faversham, just south just of Faversham. Just before Faversham, just before south Faversham. South of Faversham, yeah. 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 But in the nine days, he jumps over Howe Fence and then uh, he runs... He goes off to Ashford, which is roughly six miles mm-hmm. from where we're talking about. And then he goes down to Folkestone via the Rose and Power... Yep. So if you want to walk from Ashford to Rose and Power, that's about 10 miles. And then to get down to Folkestone is another seven to eight miles. So that's basically he's he's done 18 miles to get to Folkestone from Ashford. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then he says he goes back to his birthplace, actually, along the cliffs, Mm -hmm. which is another three miles, two to three miles. Um, And then they decide to track back to he decides to go to Canterbury, doesn't he? He does. Now, if you want to walk to Canterbury from from there, from the cliffs there, it's 17 miles. And then he walks back from Canterbury 
Does he go all the way back to Howe Fence at one point? He does. He does. He goes back to Widder's Dump. He yeah. goes back to Widder's Dump. Now, if you want to walk... Now, this is interesting. You direct, if you walk directly to Canterbury, from Canterbury back there, it's 10 miles. But if you go via... If you follow the river and you go via Good Mercy Farm, mm-hmm. which he says he does, that's, that's, that's 13 miles. So the point here is that in one day when he... The, the first day he jumps over the fence, he does... He goes from Howe to Ashford and still on that same day then he heads down to the Rosen Power mm-hmm. so he's basically done 18 20 how many miles yeah he's done 24 miles then in one day yeah which is in the rain yeah I think that's probably alright but actually it talks about the fact that he goes along the cliffs and then goes back to Canterbury all in 24 hours yeah so he does another 20 miles so he does 45 miles yeah in 24 hours. Yeah. And he's busy talking and stopping and helping yeah. people and chatting it's along the way. It's a long way, isn't it? It's a long way. I think he'd be he'd be Ridley Runner, wouldn't he? <laughs> no, no, Ridley Jogger, certainly. <laughs> Ridley, Ridley uh, counting my steps. Yeah, so there, there are days in this where he's covering a huge amount of a ground. huge amount of ground. There's probably, out of the nine days, he's... There's two days where he, one day he's doing about 30 miles, another where he's doing about 45 miles. Doesn't mention, no wonder he's fagged. Yeah. He's a, I think they are faggers. Well, which, which, is, which is interesting because, you know, he may, um, uh, Hoban in the afterwards says, you know, he was quite careful about locations. There's sometimes special trips were required, as when I rode on the pillion seat of Richard Holt's motorbike to a forest near Canterbury to ascertain whether I could see my hand in front of my face on a moonlit night. I couldn't. Right, so he's, he is paying attention to uh, to things. He said, Ordnance Survey 1 to 25,000 maps were my constant companions. Nautical charts also, which is interesting. So, you know, he was obviously paying quite close attention to distances. But well, then, you know... But maybe, maybe he hasn't quite come up to our standards on this particular occasion. Well... Unless Ridley had a secret bike that we don't know about. He does say he likes maps. I think he also likes playing... We know that he plays games with words and what the meanings of things. Yeah, yeah. There's no reason why he doesn't just play games with distances as yeah, well, to yeah, be yeah. honest. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying... But also, it's, it's a time in the future. Maybe, you know, maybe people could walk faster then. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, well, uh, they walk everywhere, don't I they? I think if he's sitting on the back of a pillion bike, he's got no idea how many miles he's travelling. That might be true. That might be true. Hey? Yeah, yeah. Do you think the he's driving the... Um, the motorhome, or do you think his wife is? The motorhome? I don't know. I don't know. Well, again, I, I get the feeling that he might be in the passenger seat making notes out the window. Yeah. He's got no idea no what distances. He's really left going. all that to his missus. across a flat field underneath the hills where we're looking back up to the hill where we were earlier we think this is Withers Dump yes down there is Withers Dane Hall okay um, so hence Withers Dump Withers Dump Dane. there's Withers Dane so I think that's a that's a dead cert don't you think yeah Feels Withers like. Dane Hall is interesting oh yeah well, it's it's a it's a rehab place now. Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For drugs and alcohol. 
addiction. They all smoke dope, don't they? In this yeah, yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. So they that's quite. They, they they give each other that. No, it's hash and Rizzlers, isn't it? Yeah, that's the currency. Yeah, yeah. But um, so that's what it is now. So if we if we get a bit tired and emotional, we can always just look in there. But it used to be Y College, and Y College was the agricultural, the School of Agriculture for the University of London for Imperial. Oh, really? Until two thousand and nine. So, so when he was writing this book, it was, a, it was a college. It was. It was Y College, and interestingly, it was a place where they basically did a lot of experimentation on transgenic plants and molecular biology. Transgenic plants? Yes, and they, they had uh, electron microscopes and radiochemicals, and they also had a lot of insects down there they were experimenting on and doing soil analysis. Oh, okay. Right, so because uh, one of the reasons they're digging, right, mm. is they they're digging for machines that have been buried in the soil mm. over the thousands of years, because that's the only way they can make get iron. Mm. They can't make iron yet. That's it. Right. So uh. we're, and we're hunting a thing called St. Eustace's well. Yes, you thought you thought it was going to be a surprise. Yeah, but you found it as well because it's on the map. Much annoying because on the map, big yeah. gothic script, yeah. St. Eustace's well. Yeah. But the thing about it is. Is it's not the St Eustace... That he saw the stuff about in Canterbury Cathedral? No. On the freeze. He's Eustatius, yeah. I believe. Well, the interesting thing, I think, for me is that um, he, he's got his maps out, Russell Hoban. Yeah. And he's, you know, scouting locations. And he picks here, which has got a well called St Eustace in it. Yeah. Having been inspired by St. Eustace in Canterbury, different St. Eustace. It doesn't really matter it's different. You probably you might not even have known it was different at that time. Yeah. But, you know, he's quite into finding connections. Well, the connection man. He's a connection man. Uh-huh. I see it? what you've done there. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Can I just say, though, we're standing in the middle of a sort of blasted field yeah. with a slight whiff of pig shit, yeah. looking up onto the old ridge there yeah. of where there must have been sort of Iron Age Absolutely. encampments. yeah. yeah. And um, it's quite vibey. So the kneading bowl's there, right? Yeah, right, yeah, just over yeah. there. So you've got, it really is a proper, just like the Ridgeway, it's got a massive ridge, and then down so here is flat So over there and over the hill? And that's yeah, down the other and then you would come along the road there and then down, and down to the here. dump here yeah. where they're digging up old um, machinery. All round here, yeah. The, interesting, the guy who was uh, the main sort of founder of uh, the agricultural college, there was a guy called Alfred Daniel Hall. He was a dog breeder as well. He was interested in... In uh, in uh, experimenting, experimenting on dogs. Well, you know, of new breeds and all that kind so of. So maybe the dog pack are a. They're, they're Alfred Daniel genetic, Halls, genetically manipulated Alfred from the agricultural oh, college. Good. That's they've good. been released from the agricultural college, and over thousands of years they've continued to evolve. <laughs> oh, that's good. I, I just oh, I like that. That. that might be the vibe. I I have often used maps when I wrote Ridley Walker. I had a a copy of the first ordnance map. Uh, I think it was the very first one, which was during the Victorian period. And I also had uh, a put together composite of the ordnance survey maps for the area that I was working in. And I had this up on the wall, it's a big thing. And I also had a chart of the uh, Thames estuary, which indicated places that I needed to refer to. And I had smaller uh, maps that showed parts of Kent that I was working in. And the maps were always a strong support and 
a kind of inspiration. As I say, there's uh, this mystique about maps that I have responded to all my life. We've talked a bit about when this book was written, uh, and we've talked a bit about what Ridley does and, and actually how he is like he's like a, uh, a seer or a shaman. He can see things that other people can't see, and he sees visions of things that he's might happen. He's a Riddler. He's a Riddler, as Ridley Walker, and a walker. And I found this fantastic interview with, uh, with Russell Hoban from 2002 with James Hopkin in The Guardian. He gives good interviews. He does give good interviews. There's a very good quite... talk on YouTube he gives to yeah, some yeah. students that's excellent um, as well. So he talks about having ideas in this, in this interview. When I'm looking for an idea, if I suddenly have a hankering for a particular piece of music, or if I go to a shelf and randomly pick a book, I think maybe something out there is trying to tell me something. I feel as if I am offering myself and I'm hoping that something will come in thinks of this in terms of shamanism most of my novels are celebrating a willingness to admit the unseen and the shaman is open to the unseen and makes himself a medium for it that's the kind of writer i see myself as this makes him very much a 1970s exactly. vinyl music exactly. listener exactly of allowing it to enter him exactly this and is this is genesis and pink floyd all it, over, it is genesis it? and pink floyd but it's also it's Probably also a bit of the tull um it's in the air right at this sort of time this, this stuff about you know the occult and the weird and the shamans and all this kind of stuff. You might uh, I don't know if you remember a book that came out in like 1973 called The Occult by Colin Wilson. You and I had a very different <laughs> reading history in our early years. Well, I was I, I did I didn't I don't think I read it in 1973 because I was only seven. But I mean I think I read it later in the 70s. But it was published in 1973 and it was a massive massive success. This book it's so a big I, thick book. It's like 1500 pages. Yeah, long. I was nine. So yeah, th th that is the kind of book that might have been passed around the dormitory. Yeah. But I was having none of it. I was reading very improving literature at that point. Yeah. Well, it's it's, it's interesting because I, I was obviously you know I read it as sort of you know as being true when I you know seventy eight seventy nine when I read it it was like oh, yeah the world is everyone has got occult powers. I think and can we have were doing visions. Ouija boards in the changing room. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, this is a, so this whole book is it, 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 we summoned up Baal at some point. Well, I Wilson think. says I came to formulate a theory of the occult that is a natural faculty we all possess but have deliberately got rid of because it would be a nuisance. Right, so it's the idea that you could see visions, you could see what was going to happen, which is what Ridley does. Right? Yes. It's very much what Ridley does. Is okay. that, um, Wilson calls it Faculty X, so he gives it a name. It's brilliant. <laughs> it's really, really good. And he spent, when he was researching it, he went and spent some time with Robert Graves in Mallorca one day. Oh. And so Robert Graves wrote The White Goddess, which yes. is all about myth and well, the occult. He's definitely got Faculty Triple X. Yeah, and I, abs <laughs> Russell, if Russell Hoban had not read The White Goddess, I would be amazed, right, because I think it's very much in there. So I think that the occult thing is very much in the air because this book was a massive bestseller. It was huge. And remember there was all that stuff about the chariots of the gods in the 60s oh, and yes. the Egyptian age and all, yes, all that kind of stuff. Yes, I remember that, yeah. And there was, uh, and there was a, a very famous French book called, I think, The Morning of the Magicians, which was came out in the sixth, early when 60s. When you say, I think, you've read all this I've stuff, all haven't this you? Stuff. I've read all this stuff. So I think that's in the air. But the other thing that I wanted to talk about regarding to this is alchemy, right? Now, what are they all trying to do in Ridley Walker, right? They're basically trying to make gunpowder. Yes. Right? So I'm going to read you a bit from um, when he's speaking to Grantzer, who's a, who's a character who's he's an old charcoal burner lives by the, by the river. There's lots of references to the one of the three and the three of the one. This in all the songs, you know, the, the song of the Holy Trinity, right? They're yeah. always talking about the three. Yeah. Okay, so Grants has said, ready with two of the three, ain't we? And been ready this long time and keeping ready until it comes, never mind how long it takes the charred coal burners, we'll be wearing red and keeping ready. 
Gopali said, till what comes, Grantsa? Grantsa said, the yellow boy, yellow boy stone. Right. So at this point, Gopali and, um, and Ridley have actually got some yellow boy stone. They've got it in Folkestone. And yep. It's sulphur. Yep. Okay. Gopali and me, we both let out our breath at once. Gopali said, the yellow boy stone. Grantsa said, that's right, Abel. We've got the other two already. I said, pig shit. Grant said, that's pig shit. Right, it is. That's what makes the seed of the red from that's how they make the soul and peter. Right, so basically, salt peter. Right, so yes. sulfur, salt peter. Salt peter you basically made by burying. Before, before we made it artificially, yep. you basically made it by burying animal feces and human feces in, in a field, and basically salt peter, would, crystals of salt peter would develop. Yep. It's basically potassium nitrate. Yes. Got that? Um, and then it said, I said, heart of the wood is the charred coal. So they're always going about heart of the wood, and that's actually charred coal. And that's the third constituent of, of gunpowder. Grantsa said, right you are again, heart of the wood and seed of the burning and heart of the child, which is the charred coal time back and time to come. Good Pali, he were leaning towards Grantsa. He were listening hard. When he talked it, then his voice sounded like he was still Prime Minister. He said, that's the three of the one, is it? The three of the one, little one, is Lilla Boy Stone and Saul and Peter and Child Cole, right? So there's all this stuff about references to, 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 to this thing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the language that's used is very much like the language that alchemists used back in the, you know, back in the day to talk about their stuff. And, and, and alchemy... You, you know, know about ter- that as well, do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know all about that. So you ter- made me walk past John Dee's house once, didn't you? I did make river. you walk past John Dee's house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm obsessed with this stuff. Mm. But Russell Hogan was obviously obsessed with it because he does say on one of the message boards that discuss these books, he does it's talk about, yeah, I read about alchemy and I read about it from Fulcanelli, right? Do you know who Fulcanelli is? I have no idea, mate. Okay, we're going a little bit deep now, but I'm just going to talk a little bit about Fulcanelli. Excellent. But um, Fulcanelli was a French alchemist. Okay. Right. Uh, allegedly, was alive during the um, during the early early twentieth century. Yeah, was, well, wasn't. I'll, I'll come on to that. Hilariously, the Wikipedia page about him does have the warning at the top. Some of this article's listed sources may not be reliable. Ah, well, I was about to say about <laughs> Russell Hogan posting on his own fan site. Yeah, deeply unreliable. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, but by sending people the wrong way. So anyway, Fulconelli was somebody who allegedly turned base metal into gold in a laboratory in Paris in the 1920s. Allegedly. Um, well, his, 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 um, his followers all claim that he did. So hold and on then, a minute. You're saying there's people in the 1920s who believed some guy yeah, yeah, who yeah, said, yeah. oh, I can yeah, turn yeah, stuff yeah, into yeah, gold, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they uh, all believed it. Yeah, yeah. And he, and he wrote two books. Have they, have they not read books. any science books? <laughs> well, one of the people that I read, one of the people that, Ful, you know, Fulconelli's not his real name. Oh, you know, of course plot not. spoiler, yeah, right. and somebody claimed that he was like this massive French physicist from the 19th century. So he'd been alive for a hundred years, oh. and and also this one guy said he also visited him in Spain, and because he disappeared at the end of the 20s, Fulconelli just he disappeared did. with everybody's money. Presumably. And then uh, he uh, allegedly he went to, to visit him in 1953 in a castle in Spain. Who visited him? Uh, this one of his uh, acolytes called Cancellier. Cancellia had known Falconelli as an old man in his 80s, but now the master had grown younger and had physically changed in appearance. He was now an androgynous creature, a being Falconelli called the divine androgene. Oh, come on. Yeah. So uh, it's, full, it's, it's full of stuff like that. But, the, you know, last thing on this. Last no, hold thing. on a minute. I like this idea, though, that he'd got some younger person to yeah. pretend to be him. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. who is that person? Well, yeah, yeah. And also... What's Russell Hoban's relationship to them? You know that he, he you know, he kind of makes out in this thing that he'd spoken to Fulconelli. Okay, right? so that would be interesting. One, one final thing on this is that Fulconelli talks about the phonetic Kabbalah. 
Kabbalah, Kabbalah, Kabbalah. I would say Kabbalah, the phonetic Kabbalah. You say what you like, mate. Um, which is a term for a special use of language, drawing on phonetic similarities and other symbolic techniques for expanding the expressive reach of words. Okay, it's exactly what Hoban does in Ridley Walker. In the language, he makes yeah. words mean more than one thing. Yeah, and he does it all. You know, he all talks about time, doing more, yeah. that. He talks yeah, yeah. about boiling down language such that it means more than one thing. So I think there's a great deal of the occult in this, and I think there's a great deal of Fulconelli. And uh, so shamans, um, seers, okay. psychics, and alchemists. So it's I'd all say in the mix. People on your side of the podcast, rather than mine, who <laughs> grew up reading occult books and yeah. listening to heavy metal, um, yeah, yeah. prog, yeah. will 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 go along with I that. Love the, I love the um, we'll go along the disapproving that. tone of voice that you adopted Just, there. Well, I think it's interesting, isn't it? It's is to say that you know. Nineteen eighty is a turning point. Is the the, the, the nineteen seventy four world that that, that yeah, book yeah, where yeah. is your is your fan base? Yeah, yeah. And then where we actually go in the nineteen eighties is my fan base. Yeah, yeah. So it's like you know we we've seen it in our podcast, right? Dark is Rising was very much my book. Yeah, absolutely. Eagle has landed very much your book. <laughs> it's Sven Hassel versus Colin Wilson. I feel seen. <laughs> I might add that there is an article about Eugène Cancelier in an interview which he gave to Le Figaro that is indiscreet. Cancelier is specific that Fulcanelli would have officially disappeared, which for an alchemist doesn't mean he would die, but simply disappear, in 1923. And coincidentally, that very same year, a scholar by the name of Jules Viol disappeared. Fiol was a physicist whose work concentrated on solar activity. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. 
if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. By then, we'd come off the A20. We were on what they call the iron track, though there ain't no iron to it. Only sometimes in the summer, you'll see red dust coming up. I put listener over my shoulder and forked off the track and looking for some shelter. Come the next lightning flash, I seen a old stone ruin. I know it the place they call it Rose and Power. It been from well before time back, way back. It were mostly just a jumble of stones been dug out here and there for sheltering one time and another. Okay. Here we are. So, uh... We are standing outside West ha- West Hanger Western Hanger Castle. Western Hanger Castle, which is an old, it's actually an old fortified manor house. Why uh, is it called the Stone and Power then? Well, a- according to um, Ridley Walker annotations, so there is a legend which says that Ros- Rosamund Clifford, Henry II's unfortunate mistress, lived here, and one of the two surviving towers is known as Fair Rosamund's Bower. Fair Rosamund's Bower. Rose Ros- and Power. Rose and Power. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. The thing is, again, they built inside it is a rather glamorous country pad that looks like, I don't know, what do you think, 1930s? Yeah. Brick? Yeah. Built inside it. Yeah. And they and do there weddings. Were lovely lands. And they seem, to have, they seem to have an old galley ship. Just as a garden feature. A garden feature. So whoever lives here is fairly well lined, I'd yeah. say. But the thing, I, the thing I like most about it is because we party. Is, is, is the station, the, the, the Folkestone railway line, yep. which is the line that Ridley would have been walking down with Listener, runs directly along here. So if he was walking east to west towards Folkestone, no, west to east towards Folkestone, he would have passed this on his right. Yes. But you get a real sense for the railway line along here that it would have been like a track. I mean, half, half, you know, like a walking yeah, yeah. track. Because it's, it's kind of got embankments on both sides. So and you're buying this, aren't you? I'm totally buying it. I'm sort of buying it. I mean, there's only two things that worry me. One is it's yet another site where he sort of talked about the post-apocalyptic vision of it all being ruinous and smelly and terrible. Yeah. When you get here, it's really lovely. Okay. The, 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 every, everything he predicts is going to be awful. It's actually yeah. quite nice. But that nice house now, 2,000 years in the future. Wow. Everything's no one getting better, after. Lloyd. It's no not one, getting worse. No one looking after it. Everything's getting better. Everyone's getting to be really rich. And have lovely places, but not. But that's not what people thought would happen, though, is it? <laughs> they clearly didn't. He's got. But he's. You know. He's. He. I wish he was here now to say, look, look what's happened. I'm not saying that they spread the wealth around evenly, but it's all rather lovely. Okay, well, look. Let's talk about nuclear dread while we're here all right. in front of a ruin. Yes. So he started writing this book in 1974. Yes. Eight years before that, the BBC made a film a docudrama in black and white called The War Game. So what year is that, you'll say? 1966. Okay. Um, it was written and directed by Peter Watkins, uh, and it's, um, it's about the aftermath of a nuclear attack on Kent. Ha-ha! <laughs> right? So okay. it, 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 North Kent, Rochester, Gillingham, along the, along the coast there, but Tunbridge as well. And it was so awful, it was so grim... The BBC refused to show it. Wow! They took they they took a look at it and they went, "We can't show this. This is just gonna this is just gonna send everyone into suicide." I have watched it. 
It is absolutely terrifying. Right. It's as, it's as scary as threads. You can get you can find it online. Right. It's only so was it fifty broadcast? minutes long. But the, here's the thing, right? It was never shown in the UK until the 1980s. Yeah. Okay. But it won the Academy Award for Best Documentary when it in was. 1966. So it was shown in America. Oh, oh I like it. So, you know, so okay. that whole... And, and there's a line in it. There's a line in it that talks about everything that's shown in this film is increasingly likely to happen by 1980. I saw one of the little boys in the compound here yesterday. He was bouncing around, playing hopscotch, I think, and suddenly he sat down as though he were very tired. And his face went listless, like that of an old man. These children are orphans of the attack. They were each asked what they now wanted to grow up to be. I don't want to be nothing. Neither do I want to be nothing. Neither do I want to be nothing. On almost the entire subject of thermonuclear weapons, on the problems of their possession, on the effects of their use, there is now practically a total silence in the press, in official publications, and on television. Okay, so we have uh, we've made it to Folkestone. Listener and Ridley, they find the power station, which is the place where all the machines are. The power place, filled power full place. of shining machines, unused machines. Unused machines. We don't really know what that is. I've got some theories on that, but I'll, I'll share that. those with those later. But after shortly. that, they say, mm -hmm. following the bl black leader, we'd gone down some steps into a tunnel, and you could hear the sea stronger. We'd come out into the open night, and the little girls on our faces, again the sea, were beating loud on the stones. It were by water right enough. Where we come out then, it was somewhere along the snug. I think it were just in shore of the lighthouse stump. Uh. So... We have found parade steps. Which I are, can see the sea. Which um, fit the bill quite nicely, don't they? I like it. Yeah. They come up from the but old town in Folkestone. These steps go down. It's quite a, there's about four or five sets of mine. It's quite yeah, steep. It's quite steep. Quite a long way down. Folkestone. With a house called Shangri-La right at the top. Yes. There's so a nice little notice sign there saying that uh, it, uh, people suspected that German spies lived there during World War One. Yes. Were sending signals across the water. Yeah. Purely because they felt, did they think there was some kind of German... The German consulate. Yeah, well, they felt that one it's of the animal believed by carvings. some that the building was a German consulate used by spies during World War One to send signals to enemy ships. One of the reasons put forward in support was that a German eagle can be seen in the, under the upper windows. It is, in fact, a griffin. Okay, so that tells you quite a lot about the people of Folkestone, doesn't it? Or the people of Britain, to be fair. Or, to be, uh, yeah, well... We are, uh, we are on uh, panic-buying fuel day. Oh All the petrol God. stations are empty. Yes, the apocalypse is upon us. So, panic. The oil is running out. The food is running out. English people are known to panic. We don't, you don't need a nuclear explosion. We just do it to ourselves. Okay? We just need to put Boris Johnson in charge and it all happens naturally. Somebody just puts a tweet out saying my yeah. petrol's run out. My petrol? My gas station's run out of petrol. And that's the end of it. Civilisation. the end of the civilization. <laughs>
So we're walking down the steps now. And there's the so, sea. So it is quite a drop, isn't it, down yeah. to the beach? Yeah, yeah. That's quite... So that's... Yeah, that's a thing. So we're now down... We're down at the harbour level now. So I, I have a few things to say about the power place. So this is the place they go to before they get to the harbour. Well, when he... You, when he, yes, when it walks into, when they're about six faggers out of Folkestone, yeah, and then they approach into it, then they go down into this, what they call a power place, because it, they, they feel it has power there, yeah, and in fact it is, it, they go there twice, don't they, in the book, because the second time is where, the second time's the bad one, for the, the bad scene, yeah. So it's quite a significant location. Yeah. But obviously it's it's not there and has never been there. But he's been asked about it explicitly, didn't he? He said I completely made it up. Where did you find that? It was on it was on the uh, the Russell Hoban site. Oh, okay. Because there used to be an old Yahoo group called the Kraken, where people gathered to talk about <laughs> Russell Hoban and Ridley Walker. Wow. And uh, one day he showed up. Oh really? Started answering questions. Do you think it was him, or do you think it's someone just... Well, I do wonder whether it was just some kind of magnificent <laughs> troll. <laughs> You'd hope so, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> I, I would do that. Yeah. I would definitely do that. So this, this is the, the old, old railway line. bridge, yeah. So it goes across so the harbour. Straight to the harbour. And then the station sits right on the top. Yeah. Right, OK. Anyway, it the power... up there. OK. The power, the power place. Yeah. So, OK, he's made it up. But there are... There are some things on the way into Folkestone he could be imagining right one of them is that there was a really massive railway siding so I think in in uh, further back up there most of that bit in there was a, a railway siding full of full of carriages and trains oh, okay but it's a bit too near the harbour yeah I think you wouldn't go past it well also the steps to the other side so my yeah. second my second observation however yeah. is you know he said he's been going around in a camper van with his family, forcing them to go on this terrible outings for his novel research. Right. Can you imagine how awful that would be yeah. if you were his child? Yeah. Well, I'm sure they enjoyed it, whatever. Yeah. I would be sulking in the back. Yeah. I'm wondering where he got his camper van from. <laughs> OK, I see where you're going. I see where you're going with this. Where am I going? The Dormobile showroom somewhere? Not a Dormobile showroom, mate. The Dormobile factory. Oh, really? A massive one. On the outskirts of Folkestone? Yeah, look, I've got it here, the history of it. Martin Walter. Okay. So a big manufacturer called Martin Fault. So look at this. Bedford Dormobiles in 57. Yeah. Volkswagen Dormobiles. Yeah. 61. Land Rover Dormobiles, 69. And here, the Folkestone factory. So it closes in 94, but it's really huge. That is that interesting, isn't it? Right. Wait, and in so fact, it had it? two, they had two, it was, it was so big, it had to move to a bigger site. So what I'm saying to you is that, you know, he may have been imagining while yeah. sitting in his little dormant, driving his dormant around. Yeah, yeah. Imagine if he was in an underground site full of shiny dormobiles that had okay. been lying dormant for two, okay. for thousands of years. I have, a, I have, a, I, you want to hear my theory? <laughs> yeah, go on then. So, you don't um, like mine? <laughs> Yeah, no, it's quite good. It's quite good. It's quite good. I'll give you it. It's pretty good. So, there's lots of references to the A20 in this book. True. But there's no references to the M20. Well, there's a reason for that. So, the M20, the M20 this part of the M20 
We're going to get a bit of footy noise here. Opened in 1981, right? 81? When the book, just a year after the book came out. Okay. But they've been building it for years, right? Yes. So what do you need when you're building motorways? Ooh, lots of diggers. A lot of plant. A lot of plant. Where do you keep your plant? Oh, in an underground lair. Yeah. But it wouldn't have been underground then, would it? Ah, but he would have had a big. He would have yeah. seen a big yeah. collection of stuff. Exactly, and that would have been on the outskirts of Folkestone. Good. I've got another one for okay, you. Okay, go on, go on. That's good. Well, of course, then we can talk about the the the, uh, the Channel Tunnel. That they they were started to to build that in the seventies, and they got abandoned. Oh, did they? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Know, had, no, no, because because basically the British um, the Labour government uh, withdrew from the agreed plan. Oh, I didn't know that. Ah, and. The big tunnel drill that was down there yeah. was left just down left, there. Just left down there in the tunnel. Ready to be reactivated. Okay, that's quite good. Okay. That's quite good, isn't it? All right. Well, we've got three good options. We've got there. three good options. I think also that he could have just been thinking about the develop. No, he, he, he got the imagination that he's that business about him saying, you know, where does the story come? It's not happened yeah, yeah. yet. It might happen. You've got to be comfortable where your head goes. Where the place, the, it's a place, yeah. no, the place is going to give you a story that might have been or might yet to be. Yeah. So he might just have been looking at the whole of that Ashford shuttle development. Yeah. And uh, he, he imagined it before it existed. Yeah. And that that's what he goes down into, is the whole of the Channel Tunnel railway Imagined site. it into existence. And imagined it into existence. It's yeah. the power place. Yeah, yeah. That's it's about funny. the right location. No, no, it's good. It's good. Huh? It's good. So I think all of those things are quite good. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I have to say, I think the Dormobile one's the best, though. <laughs> if I was making the movie, I'd definitely make it. <laughs> so they go in through the post-apocalyptic landscape. They enter a massive space, yeah. and it's full of Dormobiles. Yeah. Actually, this is a tip for when punch drunk inevitably do their Ridley Walker immersive <laughs> theatre experience. That's, that's, a that's, given. A, that's a given. That's a massive given. That's, that's where we're going. That's, that's one you've got for free from me. <laughs> So, that was uh, Ridley Walker by Russell Hoban. Yes. At, at this point, we like to award two scores to the books we've been covering. The Q-spec rating. The C-U-spec, Q-spec. Um, <laughs> the, uh, we like Curiously a, specific. an artistic, artistic merit rating. Yes. And a, um, and, and a Q-spec rating, which is how curiously specific it yes. was or it wasn't. So, um, artistic rating first. I, w- I would say this book is unimprovable. Right. Ooh. No, I do. I really think it is. I think Gosh. it's a. I think it's a. I mean, um, Anthony Burgess said, you know, this is what literature is for, or something, didn't I, about this book? Yeah, that's um, Burgess. I know, I know. Come on now. But I think I'm. I'm. I think you have to give it a nine and a half. Oh, we're doing halves now. Well, I have to because I went. To, <laughs> that's <laughs> we'll, ridiculous. We'll, we'll probably be doing quarters. Oh, come on. But it, well, oh, yes, go, you're I'll go up, You know you're going to end up with sort of ice skating 9.75 or I, diving scores, aren't yeah, you? exactly. So I'm going for a 9.5 for artistic merit because <laughs> I just think it's, I think it's a work of absolute genius. Do really you? Do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gosh. What were you giving it? Um, do you know what? I think the first time I read it, I probably would go with you. But I've now read it three times. Yeah, I've read it three times. Have you? Yes, I have, yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and... Um, 
it went slightly down in my estimation mm. uh, in terms of its artistic merit. But I still love it. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go eight. Okay. I'll tell you what I think about it is, is, is looking, sort of flicking through it when you, as you do when we're doing this podcast. You can pick any page and there'll be something on that page that is just amazing. Yes. I mean, some of the phrasing is just, it's poetry. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, if you want to be a literary writer, yeah. it's a book you've got to read yeah, have a, you, have to understand what it's what, like. You know, yeah. what the challenge is yeah, yeah, and, absolutely. And, and where the bar is, yeah, yeah. I'd say. Where the bar is. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to be a literary writer, you're going to need where the bar, no, well, where the bar is. Yeah. Um, so, uh, curiously specific rating. Mm. So, this is our rating for you know how 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 specific the book is about dates and locations. This is a bit rough because obviously dates wise, we yeah. don't really know. Yeah. Although he's very specific about the nine days, I think that yeah. that, that in terms of the, of the time frame, the works time frame is good with the exception of distances, of distances of how far things yeah. are travelled in. Yeah. So uh, there's, quite, there's been a degree of care over the planning of the story and the yeah, structure of it. Yeah. So I think I'd probably go for an eight here. Oh, you're very generous with your marks, oh, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, you're yeah. just a big softy. Well, I don't, you know. Um, well, I'm going to go, uh, since we're allowed halves, Yeah. I'm going six and a half. Oh, okay. Six and a half, because I think that um, I, the, the whole business of how fast people travel between stuff is it that's big with me it's fundamental it's, it's, it's fundamental about if i want to reenact this book yeah and yeah, use yeah. The, only the book as my guide to travel around it which is my basic principle for yeah. this whole project undertaking then I, I couldn't really do it and therefore you get quite a few marks off for that okay fair enough well, not really a bit harsh anyway <laughs> So that was Ridley Walker by Russell Hoban, uh, which was a great adventure. Really enjoyed that. I came to love Kent. You came to love Kent. Okay. I've said that several times. Yeah, I'm still. I'm, I guess I'm still mildly ambivalent about Kent, but I do love your Norfolk accent. And I love your swazzle. We would like to thank some people at this stage. We, mm-hmm. we, 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 we one particular individual, I feel. So we particularly like to thank uh, Veland Hoban, Russell Hoban's son, who composed that extraordinary piece of music that we've been using throughout the uh, throughout the podcast. The music is called. Razor's Edge, uh, and it was performed by Nico Cook on fretless electric guitar, and the interface ensemble conducted by Maurice Donnet Monet. I think that's um, sounds a bit French. Probably not pronouncing that properly. Um, If you want to check out more of Veland's music, uh, just search for Veland Hoban, W I E L A N D Hoban, on SoundCloud.com. There's some really extraordinary stuff up there. Great to have a connection. Amazing, yeah. He's a connection man, and an oddly right for this. For this book, I think that that music. It was, I think it I'm actually we went very it. well with the text. Yeah, yeah it did. I well, yeah. I suppose that's not very surprising in a way, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. since the book is dedicated to him. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it is. Yeah. We need to thank another musician, the artist learning music on the Free Music Archive, because uh, our little theme tune, our loop that we use, for, uh, is composed and I suspect performed by the artist learning music, and it's available as a creative under a creative. Commons license on the Free Music Archive. Thanks to both those musicians and composers, and we'll see you very shortly with a new episode of uh, the Curious Pacific Book Club. 
Uh, if you liked this episode, please feel free to like and subscribe us on whatever podcast platform of choice you have. And if you want to get access to the new episodes straight away, check out our Patreon account. Yes, and we're also available to you on social media. We have a Twitter account, Curiously Spec. Curiously right? Spec, yeah. Uh, we have an Instagram account, so there are a few pictures and little short videos up there to give you a sense of place. And Stig, uh, Stig of the Dump fame, uh, who runs our marketing, insists that we have a Facebook page as well. But Yeah, uh, which I've never seen, have you? I don't know. I'm assuming it just automates. You just post stuff it. on Instagram and then it appears on the page. Does he, all, does he do anything else? Could have all sorts of Stone Age stuff on there. That do you know what? Never... There could be all. Co- we could have thousands of followers up there. We, we never know. Yeah, we'll never know. So uh, if you want to follow us on Facebook, feel free. <laughs> come to Patreon. You come to Patreon. Pay us some money. Uh, get some good stuff. Uh, and we'll see you very soon with a uh, new episode of Curiosity Specific. Thanks for listening. <laughs>